What beautiful truths. Jesus said it's the truth that sets you free. Freedom. Boy, how, how valuable, how important that is to us as Americans, huh? That's one of the things we call the foundation of our country, freedom. And we're pretty serious about it because if somebody says anything or, or is acting in a way that's going to take away our freedoms, we get pretty defensive. We get pretty upset. In fact, if we're ever attacked, if it looks in some way that our country may lose some type of freedom, we'll even send in our military forces to stop the threat. We're serious about freedom. But that freedom we're serious about and want isn't just something that we talk about or, or want for our country. We also have a thing I might call our personal freedom. That is, we want freedom in our personal lives, too. You know, we want freedom from debt. You know, how, how great we feel, the relief we feel when, when the mortgage is paid off or when that car payment is done or we can say we're debt-free. People want freedom from illness, too. Somebody maybe who has been diagnosed with cancer and has gone through treatment. Oh, the relief, the joy they feel when they find out it's gone and they can say, I'm cancer-free. Sometimes we want freedom from the, the troubles and the stress we experience in life. Some people might, might want freedom from certain relationships, from certain responsibilities. We want freedom. It becomes a very personal thing. Well, that freedom is so personal and can run even deeper than those things that I mentioned. We want to do some soul searching today in preparation for Holy Week and Easter and, and to see the kind of freedom that, that God offers us for our soul, a freedom that we have in Christ himself. So serious and so strong is the Apostle Paul in, in wanting Christians to know that freedom. He makes this bold statement in one of his letters found in the Bible in which he was addressing that topic. To the Galatian Christians, he wrote this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, what kind of freedom is he talking about? We, we like our freedoms as a nation. We, we, we look for certain freedoms in our personal life. But the kind of freedom he was talking about, is a, it runs real deep. It's a, it's a personal, spiritual freedom. That's what he was writing about in, in this letter. And so let's take a look today at that message of freedom that God has for us. Now, there, there are two little and key words that I want you to remember about freedom. The first one is the word from, and the second word is the word for. We have freedom from and freedom for. Let's take a look at the freedom from aspect. You can say it's a freedom from bondage. Now, the, the scriptures use a, a variety of pictures to help us understand the, the kind of bondage that we are in. Uh, sometimes it talks about captivity or imprisonment. 
Sometimes it talks about slavery. And other times it just talks about the burdens that we have in life. And in all of those, it speaks about a freedom that we have in Christ. So let's take a look at, at three things from which we've been freed. First of all, that picture of captivity. When the Bible was talking about captivity, sometimes it would speak of the captivity that God's people were in as a nation, whether it was the captivity they were in in Egypt or later on in Babylon or any other time. And, and the Jews, as we heard before in our gospel lesson, got so upset with Jesus when he told them that they were slaves. He, they said, we've never been slaves. And the truth is that they had been. They had been in captivity. Another way the Bible pictures that captivity is to use the word prison or imprisonment. It, it speaks of what happens when people are caught in unbelief. The result is that they are in a captivity and imprisonment of their soul. The Bible even speaks of the angels in heaven that rebelled against God as being cast down into prison and being chained up for eternity. And we might say it sounds like a life sentence, but actually it's a death sentence. It's a sentence about eternal death. For those who are in unbelief have rejected God, and, and, and that's what they're facing, eternity of, of death or imprisonment. Now, we might hear that and say, well, that not really is referring to me, is it? And my answer is yes and no. <laughs> yes, that imprisonment from unbelief does refer to us. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, meaning the devil, who the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul is pointing out for us that there was a time in our existence when we did not have faith in God. We did not have a knowledge of God. And so we were in unbelief. We were in an imprisonment and a captivity. But by the grace of God, by the working of God, we have been set free. Because we know that we have been saved by Jesus. God sent his own son into this world to take our place. To take our place under all of those laws that we can't keep and to do it perfectly so that could be given to us. Jesus took our place under the wrath of God, suffered the penalty for our sins so that you and I will not be punished by God. Jesus took our place in the grave so that that death that comes as a result of our sin will be removed and we will live forever. We're free. We're free. We're free from unbelief because God has brought his spirit into our hearts to give us that faith and that life in Jesus. Now we look at our lives, though, and you say, but, you know, I, I still sin. And, and I know the guilt of my sin. I know what I'm responsible for. And that's another type of slavery that we are in. 
but a slavery from which we've also been set free. Now Jesus, in those words we heard just a few minutes ago, said to the Jews, if anyone sins, he is a slave to sin. And by that, he's simply describing the, the power, the control that sin has in our life. And we still feel that because we still have a sin nature. We still are victims of, we still are those who commit sin. To, to illustrate the, the force, or the, the power, the influence of sin in our life, just, just consider these three examples. From the first human family, there were two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain was so jealous of his brother Abel that he hated him and that hatred turned into murder. Do you see how controlling sin could be? Something from just as, we might say, as innocent as, as jealousy, becoming hatred and then murder? Or think of King David, the great leader of the nation of Israel, how he saw this beautiful neighbor lady and lusted after her. And that desire for her became adultery, and that adultery turned into taking that woman away from her husband and having the husband killed. You see the power, the controlling power, the slavery of sin? Or, or, or take the, the young rich man who came to Jesus one day and asked Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus recites for him the Ten Commandments, and he goes, well, I've kept all those. And Jesus said, then take all of your possessions and sell them and give the money to the poor. And that rich guy I can't do that. And he walked away sad. It just showed the grip that greed had on his heart. Do you see how powerful sin can be in controlling us? We can look at our own lives and see it. But yet we can also say, I have been set free from sin. How can that be? Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth sets you free. What was he talking about? The truth that God declares to us that our sins have been paid for, that that bondage has been broken. The Apostle Paul earlier in this letter explained it. He said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Jesus took that curse of our sin away from us as he became the curse in our place. And so we are free. That's why God says we are now innocent. He declares us innocent. He justifies us from our sins. Is that a message for us to know? Absolutely. And yet, as we struggle with that slavery in our sin, we can also say this. Paul reminds us that as we have been set free from sin... We've now become slaves to righteousness. That is now God has given us the power and the desire to live a righteous life. We are set free from sin. We can say no to sin and we can live righteously for God. But I would maintain and the scriptures point out that, that sometimes that righteousness that we can live in now often becomes a burden as well. And so we might feel that we are slaves to 
what we call work righteousness. That is, we might think that there's still more that I need to do to please God. We might put it like this, faith plus something. We might think that there's something more I need to do to show God I'm worthy of his forgiveness. There might be something that I think that I need to do or, or some way I need to live that, that shows God I, I should get blessing. You see, we think that we have to prove ourselves to God. And that's just human nature, right? Because we say, if you want something, then you've got to work to get it. But it's not that way with God's forgiveness or salvation. It's free to all, simply through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if, if there are certain blessings, certain things we need in life, we don't think, have to think, well, you know, maybe if I straighten up my life, God will give it to me. Or maybe if I want to be rid of certain things in my life, maybe if I just get right with God, it'll happen. God doesn't love us on the basis of what we do. He loves us on the basis of his grace and what Christ has done for us. And that's how God wants us to live our life now, simply as one that's full of grace and joy. Paul writes, We too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. It's our faith that gives us, that, that, that brings us that, that grace of God and fills us with the joy and the confidence we need. Do you trust in Jesus alone? Do you have full confidence in what he has done for you? That's the freedom God wants you to have, to know, and to live. A freedom that's not just from, but a freedom that's also for something. A freedom that now allows us to serve God without guilt, but with joy. The Apostle Paul reminds us often that we're saved by faith alone. We're, we're proud and, and bold to proclaim that. But the truth of the matter is, faith, while we're saved by faith alone, Faith is never alone. There is something that accompanies our faith, something that comes from our faith, and that's our, our eager and, and joyful response to want to live God's way, to want to serve him. So in declaring our freedom, Paul also says this, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, Rather, serve one another humbly in love. There Paul is reminding us that we have the opportunity now to serve God, but not as I want. I have freedom in Christ, not to do as I please, but to do as what pleases God, to do the mission of God, which Paul said is to love. The greatest love that we can show others is when we declare to them the love of God for them how God has freed them from unbelief and sin and works to live in joy and confidence for eternity. Freedom 
We want freedom. Jesus shows us what we can do with that freedom. Jesus himself said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to accomplish our freedom and to proclaim it to us. While we may want freedom in this life, freedom from troubles, freedom to do as we please, we know that in this life it won't be a perfect freedom. It doesn't last. There will always be troubles. There will always be threats. There will always be restrictions. But being free from unbelief to have eternal life, to be free from sin and its curse to have the blessings of God, to be free from this feeling of I have to work and prove myself to having just a complete joy and trust in what God has done, that is an eternal freedom that is never going to go away. How do you respond to that? Look at what the Apostle Paul did when he reflected on his life and how full of grace he was. He says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Paul's response is simply one of joyful serving God. And that's what God calls us to do now, to live our life full of his grace, to live it with a joyous duty to what he has called us to do. Do you feel that? Do you do it? Do you live in it? Know the freedom that God says is yours. And live in that. But know this also. That there are many more who need to know what that freedom is. That message of freedom that you and I know and love and trust is a message that God has for other people too who don't know what that freedom is. And that means now that God wants us to faithfully serve him with a ministry. A ministry who are to people who are caught up in that unbelief or that sin or that guilt and are trying to work their way out. I'd like to take a few minutes and just tell, us, tell you about a a new ministry that we have been working in here the last nine months or so. It is a ministry, literally, to prisoners, to those who are in prison. In specific, we are serving uh, the prisoners at Solano State Prison in Vacaville. It's about 100 miles uh, away from here. And let me tell you uh, what we do and, and how that got started. And, and I want to emphasize that what this is, is it's a ministry to the heart. We're, we're not out to change their, their sentences or, or their situations. We're out to bring them a message of freedom for their heart. It started about a year ago when I got a telephone call from one of the inmates in the prison. Uh, he had contacted our church once before and now wanted to talk to a pastor again. He wanted some counsel. And so we accepted the collect call and I talked to him and he would call me a few more times after that, and I finally said, Fred, 
you know what, I really need to come up and meet you. And, and so I now have been working to, to meet him and, and other inmates up there. I can only see them on weekends, and for me that just means Saturday. Uh, so I go up, I try to go up about twice a month to uh, see inmates in there. And you have to go through a process of getting approved. You have to go online then and make a reservation, and hopefully you get a time that you can go up there and see them. And, and because it is 100 miles away, we have to leave real early in the morning. When I say we, sometimes Pastor Chung goes with me, sometimes uh, Scott Klein, one of our staff ministers, works, uh, comes with me, and we have one uh, lay member in our congregation who goes also. And so we have to go up there early in the morning, and you have to get checked in. It takes a while, and then you have to go through uh, security like you do in an airport. You've got to empty your pockets and take your jacket off and anything metal. You've got to take your shoes off. You have to go through a metal detector. And you can't take anything in with you other than a car key and maybe a couple pieces of paper and some, and some single-dollar bills that you can use. You can put in the vending machines in the visiting room, and you can buy yourself and these guys some, some food from the vending machine. So after we go through all that, uh, we, we go there, and you can only register to meet one prisoner, but if there are several together, then you can, you can have a group. But we go into a large room. It's, it's probably just a little bit larger than the church here, and it's set up sort of like it's a high school cafeteria where there, there are tables, but the tables are real low because they don't want you passing anything under the table, so, you know, it's below your knees. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're there talking to the guys, and we can't take anything in, not even a Bible. But they have Bibles there that we could use. But we just have discussions. We talk with them about their life, uh, about their relationship with God. And it, it lasts for like four hours. We're up there for four hours, so the whole day is like an eight-hour day just making trips up there. But it's a ministry to their heart. We're letting them know about God's love for them. Well, it started, as I said, with just this one guy. And from there it branched out to a second guy and now several other guys. We have five guys that have formed themselves together to be an evangelism team, they call themselves. And they get together every Monday afternoon and they plan what they're going to do to bring God's word into their fellow inmates. And this is what they do. They try to build relationships with, with the men. And with some of them, it means showing that you care. And sometimes that means by giving them something. Might be soap, shampoo, might be a sandwich cup of coffee. They have to buy those things, and they don't have money. Well, some of them have jobs in, in the prison, and they earn like 50 cents an hour, and the state takes some of that away from them for restitution, and so they don't have much money. So if they want soap or they want shampoo, they have to buy it from the inside store, but they have to have money, and a lot of those guys don't have money. So we have provided what we call a benevolence fund. It's credit at the store in the prison, and a couple of our guys inside uh, manage it, and what they do is if they find that somebody has a need, they'll go and buy the guy a new pair of socks or a new pair of underwear or some shampoo or maybe an ice cream sandwich or some coffee. And they're wondering, well, why are you doing this for me? And they'll say, because we want to share God's love with you. And they say, well, where did you get this money from? And they'll say, it's from Apostles Lutheran Church in San Jose. Well, who are they? It's these Christians that want you to know God's love. And they've established relationship with guys that they now have several men who are doing Bible studies there. They've got one group of guys who are doing it together, 15 of them. They've just completed a Bible study course on the Ten Commandments that we sent to them. Our church body has produced a number of materials for 
men and women inside the prison to use. We make copies of that and send it to those guys. They fill them out, they study it, they send them back. I look at them, make some little comments and send them back. And when they have completed a course, I send them a certificate that they can put in their personal file to show they've been working to improve themselves. I was just told that one set of guys, 15 guys, have just completed the course on the Ten Commandments. They're now ready to start the course on prayer. And after that, the one on anger management that says, God is my anger manager. These men have have been changing their lives because God has changed their lives with a message of freedom in Christ. They know their guilt. None of them are saying, I shouldn't be in here. Oh, sure, they desire to get out. But they're willing to accept whatever it is. And they know that God has accepted them. These uh, men also planned a, a, a particular event last month. It was a Friday night event, a special gathering they had in their auditorium. And they called it Rumble on Noah's Ark. Now, I don't know how they got that approved, <laughs> Rumble inside of a prison. But what it was was a game. It was playing the Jeopardy game. And they had questions in there about history and about sports and about the Bible. And then they handed out prizes and snacks to the guys that we provided, that we purchased. And, and, and those gifts just turned men around so that over, the, over 100 men attended that event. Now over 50 of them have signed up to do Bible studies through this program because they want to know more about God's love for them. It's a ministry to the heart. But it's also a ministry that wants to bring them hope. The word hope is supposed to be up there. A ministry of hope. To let them know that they are loved. Loved by God and loved by God's people. There's one man in particular who he's been in for 20 some years. He's 67. He's coming up for parole. He had been estranged from his family for all that time. We worked and got him connected. We found where his daughter was in Southern California, and we set up a phone connection that he can call. By the way, they call me during the week several times to talk, and, and now he can talk to his daughter. He talked to his daughter for the first time in 20-some years at Christmas and heard his granddaughter for the first time say words to him. He's now, we reunited him with his sister in Southern California so that when he, if God wills, that he is, is released, he now has a place where he can go and work. We're giving them hope. Hope not just for this life, but hope for eternal life. And they express that. This week I got this card from the guys inside, and, and they wrote comments on there. I just want to share this one with you. I just want to let you know how much of a blessing you are to us in here. There is so much to be miserable, miserable about in a place like this. But because of your love gifts, we are not only able to provide hope, but also spread the love of Christ to hurting souls. Thank you so much for the opportunity to not only share the love of Christ, but to show it as well. God bless you. And it is you. Because you are the ones who help us carry out this ministry. That's what God has called us to do, to proclaim that freedom to people all over the world. What can we do? There are opportunities for us within this particular ministry. First of all, I would ask for your prayers, that God's word break down those walls that are in men's hearts, 
so that they know his love and grace. We need your support too. Now we have money set aside in our budget for doing this. But if our budget runs short like it is, then we have to start to make cuts, and we don't want to do that. So continue to support the ministry of our church. If you would like to help by reviewing some of the Bible studies that get turned into me, I'll show you what to do. It's pretty easy. That would take a pile of papers off of my desk so that I can return them back the certificates to those men. And finally, if you're interested in going up with us to visit those men, it's really safe. Somebody asked me, aren't you scared? I said, not at all. It's the safest place in the world. The only weapons are with the guards. Okay? And those prisoners that we go to see, they're in level two, which means you can have contact with them. They're safe. And they're not going to do anything to jeopardize their situation. It's safer than going to the shopping mall. But if you're interested in going, you can speak with me and we'll train you and take you with us. One of our members is already doing that. But above all, let's recognize this, that God has given us a mission, wherever it is. If it's behind the walls, if it's in our homes, or in our community, God has given us a mission to proclaim very clearly, we're free in Christ. Live in joy. Amen.